turn in your Bibles to, guess where? The book of Galatians, that's right. (laughs) The book of Galatians. Our text this morning is Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. But we're going to read beginning at verse 1 for a little bit of context. So if you would please stand with me and hear the word of the Lord that is infallible, sufficient, and completely and utterly true. Galatians chapter 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you that you have inspired this letter, this chapter, even this passage. We pray that you would use it to point us to Christ, that we might glorify him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have you had, growing up in your life, a hero? Maybe it was a sports figure. Maybe it was your dad, or your mom, or a favorite uncle, or a neighbor, or a school teacher. And oftentimes, when we have a hero, one thing that we do is we tend to make them out to be bigger in life than they really are. We tend to assign all of the best qualities that we can think of. I think thinking of sports heroes is an especially appropriate way of doing this. It's not so true today as it was when I was the age of some of the children. But we look at a man who can hit a baseball, or throw a baseball, or shoot a basketball, and we think... Well, he must be smart. He must be kind. He must be good to his family. Why? Because he can play a sport. And then oftentimes, we need to have our expectations brought back to reality. We need to think about things in their proper light. Because that's the truth. And oftentimes, that helps us to appreciate the person even more. That's sort of what was happening in Galatia. They had a hero, the Judaizers did. And they wanted this to be the hero of the Galatians, Abraham. It's the kind of a name that in conversations the Judaizers would start and a hush would fall. You know that was like Abraham. And you would hear a pin drop. 
You know, I wouldn't do that. That's not what Abraham would have done. And so they lifted up Abraham. And of course, this fit very well into their scheme of justification and salvation. Because, of course, if one wanted to be justified, one would like to be like Abraham. And how would one be like Abraham? They would say, let us take you back in the Scriptures. Let's go to Genesis 17 and see that Abraham was circumcised. You want to be like Abraham, don't you? So, of course, you need to be circumcised to be faithful and to be justified like Abraham. And Paul says, you don't have the faintest idea of who Abraham was. Let me tell you about Abraham. No, wait. Let me tell you about Abraham's God. And so what I want us to see this morning is the unity of the Scriptures in this incident. We have a wonderful example here. Many of us like to read commentaries. We'll read Calvin or Matthew Henry or uh, any number of persons. John MacArthur. This is the best of all commentaries. It's an inspired commentary. The Holy Spirit speaking about the Scriptures and about Abraham. And what I would like us to see are four things briefly. I'd like us to see that there is but one righteousness. Only one. There is but one family of God. Only one. There is but one gospel. Not two. Not three. And there is but one blessing. This is the true substance of there can be only one. Only one gospel. Only one righteousness. Only one family. Only one blessing. And Paul uses the person of Abraham to describe this for us. Well, what do we see here? First, look with me, if you would, at verse 6. He says, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, before we delve into this, which is perhaps one of the most significant verses in the Bible, I want you to remember the context. How does that verse begin? Just as. Well, what is just as? It's what Paul was talking about before. He's saying, what I was saying, it's just like Abraham. Some translations put it this way in a colloquialism that I think is appropriate. Take Abraham, for example. Now, consider Abraham. This is an example. Paul's talking about justification by faith at the end of chapter 2. And he's talking about continuing on in the Christian life by what? Faith and by the Spirit. And he says, this is just like Abraham. Now, this should be very shocking to us if we weren't coming to this text at the first time. You'll notice in the outline perhaps something that you find a little odd. Abraham is, for Paul, the perfect New Testament example. You think about that? He's talking about justification by faith in Christ. That's the end of chapter 2. And he says, do you want to know about justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone? Well, the perfect example that I could think of would be Abraham. And we might scratch our heads and say, why not use yourself, Paul? What about Peter? How about Luke? Barnabas? Come on, we've got all these great... Stephen! We've got all these great New Testament examples. 
Why take someone from way back in the Old Testament? Why use Abraham? Well, I think for one thing, this is brilliance on behalf of Paul. Because the Judaizers were using Abraham to upset the doctrine and the hearts and the minds of the Galatians. They would have constantly referred to Abraham, talking about circumcision, pointing them to Genesis 17. And this was something that was common in the day. But you see, for for the Judaizers, Abraham was a very different figure. I think you can get the picture of this if I read you a short quote from the book of Sirach, which is an apocryphal book, not a part of the Bible, but that was used by Jewish rabbis. Abraham was a great father of many people. That's familiar, right? Who kept the law of the Most High and was in covenant with him. He established the covenant in his flesh, circumcision, and when he was proved, or when he had a trial, he was found faithful. He obeyed. Therefore, God assured him by an oath that he would bless the nations in his seed. Now, all of that should be familiar, but this should be kind of like if you've ever played a jumble game. Have you ever done that? All the right pieces are there, but they're not in the right order. Abraham obeyed. Abraham had a covenant with circumcision. Therefore, God gave him a promise. The problem with that is, at least in my Bible, Genesis 12 comes before Genesis 15. And Genesis 15 comes before Genesis 17. And Genesis 17 comes before Genesis 22. The Bible order is God calls Abraham out of Ur. God makes a promise to Abraham. And then as Paul says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Then he gets circumcised. Then he obeys God with Isaac. The Judaizers are playing a shell game here with the Bible to make it say what it doesn't say. And Paul uses the scriptures against them. He says, you've got to remember that Genesis 15 comes before Genesis 17. Let me quote it for you. He says, just as Abraham, quote, believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. He takes an exact quote. If you look at the Greek version of Genesis 15, 6 and this text, they're virtually identical. He's pressing the point home. Now, why do this? It's because the Judaizers were wrong. What Paul is saying is that Abraham's righteousness was by faith, not by circumcision, not by obedience. The same kind of faith that I've been talking to you about, Paul says. Abraham believed God. He trusted in God. And that allowed him to believe the impossible. Have you thought about what Abraham believed? Do you remember the incident in Genesis 22? He's with Isaac, and they're going up the mountain. And Isaac looks at his father and says, perfectly naturally, knife, wood, going to build an altar, dad, where's the sacrifice? 
And do you remember what Abraham answers? The Lord himself will provide a sacrifice. The impossible. Perhaps you remember another famous incident in Hebrews 11, where the faith of Abraham is described this way. God had promised to bless the nations of the earth, and he had made it very specific for Abraham. He said, in Isaac shall be the seed. You tried this monkey around here with Ishmael. Tried to do it on your own. Let me tell you, in Isaac. And the scripture tells us that Abraham's faith in the trustworthiness of God was that Abraham thought to himself, if God has to break the laws of death to keep his promise to me, he will. I don't care that everyone I have ever seen my entire life has died. And after they've died, they've stayed dead. God promised to bless me and Isaac. God told me to sacrifice my son. So God must have a plan. You see, reason alone said to Abraham, doubt, be in despair. But faith said, be convinced of the power of God. And Paul says that in Romans 4, verse 21, that Abraham's faith convinced him that God was able. You see, Abraham had faith, and it was not just something vague. Abraham's faith was qualitatively like our faith. His faith was in an object. It was in God. It was in the Messiah. It was in the one to come. So the question then comes to you this morning. I doubt any of you are going to go off up Mount Moriah to sacrifice a child. But we all face trials, don't we? We're going to face difficulties this week. And the question comes to us. In our faith, do we trust God above all things because of who He is and His character? You know, there's a a famous saying, a colloquialism. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. False. God said it. That settles it. Because of who God is. He is truth. He cannot speak anything but truth. So God's promises to you in Jesus Christ are what Paul says. All, yea and amen. Do you trust God that way today in all of the things of your life? That's the kind of faith Abraham had. That's the kind of faith we are called to have, Paul says, just as Abraham. And this faith is a faith that counted Abraham righteousness. Abraham had this faith and God counted it for righteousness because of the faith that he had in God. The language here is actually kind of like accounting languages. If I were to ask Van to describe for me what he does in Greek, it would be this language. He counts it. He accounts it. He makes a reckoning. Abraham's faith is treated as righteousness. He appropriates to himself the righteousness of another. There is only one righteousness, and it comes from another. It comes from God. That's why faith is so important. Because whether you obey exactly like Abraham, or like Joseph, or maybe you're more like David, or like Moses, or whoever's personality you are more like, 
Ultimately, that doesn't matter. It's the faith that each of them has and had that makes you righteous before God. One righteousness by faith. And this one righteousness leads to one family of God. Look at verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Paul makes application of this faith of Abraham to us. It's almost as if he's pointing, saying, listen, know this. Let me tell you one more thing. He uses an imperative. We might even be appropriately amending the punctuation here by putting an exclamation point at the end of verse 7. Know this, Paul says. And he uses the history of salvation to grant comfort and instruction to the Galatians. He's using all of salvation history from Abraham on. This is a lesson for us. You've probably heard this said at a wedding. What God has joined, let no man put asunder. Well, let me tell you. What God has joined, one book in two testaments, let no man put asunder. There is one way of salvation, one righteousness by faith, one family of God. And that family, those sons of Abraham, are the people of faith. We might even say it's those who rely on faith. This is what happens. Abraham's heritage to us is a heritage of faith, not of works. The Judaizers wanted to point back to the great heritage of what Abraham had done. There were even stories that Abraham had completed ten trials. And that when Moses went up on the mountain, after the Israelites had sinned in making the golden calf and breaking the Ten Commandments, he said to God, well, you need to forgive them because they broke Ten Commandments, but Abraham passed ten tests. No. Abraham's heritage to us is his faith. Some of you may have family heirlooms, a brooch, a ring, a piece of land. They're things you treasure. Not just because of what they are, but because they remind you of the person. The treasure and heirloom that you have, believer in Jesus Christ, thousands of years and thousands of miles from Father Abraham, is his faith. It's the family heirloom. It's how you know you are a part of the family of God. And the interesting thing is that Paul uses the scriptures to really almost poke the Judaizers in the eye. He says, it's those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. He says, Abraham believed God in Genesis 15 before circumcision. Guys, I need to tell you something. Abraham was a Gentile when he believed. Not a Jew. Why are you trying to make these Galatians Jews? He was a Gentile. We're brothers with Abraham. Forgive the cliche. We're soul brothers, not blood brothers. It's a relationship in the family of God by faith. You see, we all know the beginning of the song. I won't dance, but Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. The Judaizers had a song too. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, but you are not. 
So let's just all get circumcised. (laughs) Or let's just all obey the law. You see, that was their song. They were dividing up the people of God. What a comfort it is even to our children to know that we're part of the family of Abraham. We can look to him and see his faith and see God working in his life and expect God to work in our life in that way. And that leaves us with no opportunity to boast at all about what we have or what we do because that's the definition of Abraham. You may recall I said that this passage is a good inspired commentary on Genesis, there's actually a commentary on Galatians 3. It's Romans 4, where Paul talks about Abraham there, and it begins this way. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Same text. One of Paul's favorite texts. You see, believing God and having that counted to you for your righteousness leaves you with no place to boast and say, well, I'm so glad that I was born in America. And I'm so glad I was born in a covenant family. Not like these other people over there. And I'm so glad I was baptized at an appropriate time. Kind of like the eighth day for circumcision. And I'm so glad that I've been able to memorize a certain amount of Scripture. Not like this guy over here who came to Jesus Christ in his 40s. No, there's no boasting at all. It's all of faith. And this is Paul's pattern, isn't it? Opposing faith and works. He does it, look, in chapter 3 at verse 2. Did you receive it by works or by faith? In verse 5, by works of the law or hearing with faith. In verse 7, he says, those of faith. But then in verse 10, he contrasts them with, for those who rely on works. And again in verse 11, he says, now no one is justified by the law, but they live by faith. This is a familiar refrain. He's drumming it into the minds of the Galatians and of us. We might even say that we are the sons of Abraham. You might even translate it this way. We're true Abrahams who are of faith. The authentic article. But the reason that we are in one family of God and we obtain one righteousness by faith is because there is only one gospel. There is the gospel promise Look at verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. There's another very popular hymn. This is good for songs, this text. You know, tell me the old, old story, what? Of Jesus and his love. What Paul says is, the old, old story is a lot older than you think it is. It doesn't start with Jesus and his love. Jesus' love goes back into the Old Testament. Abraham saw Jesus' love. Now, wait a minute. Pastor, Paul says Abraham believed God. doesn't say anything about Jesus. doesn't say anything about Jesus' love. Well, Jesus knew that Abraham had faith in Jesus. 
What does he say to the Pharisees? The forerunners of the Judaizers. He says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. In John 8, verse 56. And that's exactly what Paul says, doesn't he? The scriptures beforehand preached to Abraham. They told the gospel to Abraham before the gospel was preached in the days of Jesus. The same gospel. One gospel. Anytime someone tells you Abraham was saved different than Paul was. Or says, you know, we don't really need to evangelize the Jews because they're a different people of God. There's different rules that apply to them. You say, wait a minute. The first Jew was Abraham and Abraham was justified by faith and he believed in Jesus. Sounds like one gospel to me. Of course it is, because the old, old story doesn't even start at Abraham. You know where the very first place the gospel is preached is? Even if you don't know, you probably could guess. It's the book of Genesis. And it's right after the fall, in Genesis 3.15. That's where the gospel starts, but one gospel. And notice there's the same result. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. The scripture preaches to Abraham in order to show the Gentiles would be justified by faith, Paul says. That's mind-blowing. What Paul's saying is, this is all about justification by faith, all the way back in the time of Abraham. And so what does that mean then for us? It means that if we are to have the same faith that Abraham has, we must put our trust in the same one that Abraham did. It doesn't mean you need to think, what would Abraham pray? I need to learn Hebrew so I can pray in Hebrew like Abraham did. No. It means putting your faith and trust in the same one, the Lord God, that Abraham did. This is the gospel promise. And you see, that's because the call of the gospel is the same. Notice what Paul says. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand. The scripture preaches the same gospel. Now, this gospel should be familiar to you because Paul uses the word gospel more than any other writer in the New Testament. And he uses it in Galatians more than any other place. As a matter of fact, 13 times. And if you look back through chapter 1 and chapter 2, you'll see it over and over again. The truth of the gospel, the gospel, my gospel, no other gospel. Over and over and over again. What Paul is also telling us is that when the scripture spoke to Abraham, saying that the Gentiles would be justified by faith, that that was at the heart of the covenant of Abraham. The heart of the covenant is faith and justification. It is not inclusion in the people of God. It is not obedience. It is not dominating America and the world. The central truth of the covenant of God is justification by faith. Turn with me, if you would, very briefly to Romans 15. I want to show you what Paul does when he talks about this covenant... Verse 8, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that is the Jews, to show God's truthfulness, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the 
Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. So Paul says, let me tell you what God did to the circumcised. Why did He do this? And he cites, the first quote is from 2 Samuel 22. The second quote in verse 10 is from Deuteronomy 32. The third quote in verse 11 is from Psalm 117. And the final quote is from Isaiah 11. He rapid-fires quotes from every part of the Old Testament, from the Psalms, from the prophets, from the law, from the history. And what do they all speak of? The inclusion of the Gentiles by faith. One gospel. One gospel call. I want you to notice one other thing as a very brief aside. If you flip back to Galatians 3, or hopefully you still have your thumb in there, you'll see that Paul says, And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel. The Scripture preached the gospel to Abraham. Now, if we go to Genesis 15, you don't need to go there now, you can go there this afternoon. In verse 7, or excuse me, um, verse 1, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abraham. And behold, in verse 4, the word of the Lord came to him. And he brought him outside, and he said, Look toward the heaven, and number the stars, if you are able to number him, number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Who's speaking in Genesis 15? God. Who's speaking in Galatians 3? The Bible. You see what Paul's doing here? He's saying that when the Bible speaks, God speaks. Why would he do this? It's to assure us, just like it's to assure the Galatians, that when we read the promise of God, when we read of the gospel of God in the Bible, it is exactly as if the Lord himself audibly spoke to you. That's how sure these promises are in this word. That's an incredible comfort, isn't it? When God speaks, the Bible speaks. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. We see it also in Hebrews chapter 4 where it says, and the Holy Spirit says, citing a psalm. The Bible is the very word of God. So we see here that there is one righteousness by faith. It brings us into one family because we have one gospel of God that is preached beforehand to Abraham and to us after the death of Christ. And what the result is, is one blessing. This is another doctrine that's under attack today. Look at what Paul says in verse 9. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. First, we see this blessing received. The sum of Paul's argument is that everyone who believes shares in the blessing that Abraham has. Now, does that mean that I can be happy because I can retire because I've got a plot of land in Palestine? God promised Abraham land, so I must have two acres of Palestine coming to me, right? No. What would I do with some dirt? What I want is to inherit the promise to Abraham. 
to be justified before God, to be counted righteous because of faith. This is the blessing of Abraham. You see, what Paul says to the Judaizers is, your vision's too small. You think the blessing that people get from Abraham is they get to be a part of the people of God, and they get to have circumcision, and they get the the law, and they get to obey. And he says, that's the incidentals. The land, that's a throw-in. That's when you buy a house, and they throw in one curtain in the bedroom. That's a throw-in. You get the house. The house we get is justification before a holy God. That is the promise, the blessing received. Do you see the progression of this promise? Look in verse 6. Who gets the promise in verse 6? It's Abraham. And then in verse 7, it moves out to the Gentiles being able to participate. Any who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And then look where Paul takes it in verse 8. He says that's God's plan for everyone. That's what the promise is. Don't be limited thinking that Paul, thinking that God's blessing is small. This is the blessing of Abraham. But it's not just the blessing received. For as the people of God, we know that this blessing is also a blessing given. You see, Paul wants the Galatians to know that they were in the purpose of God when he spoke to Abraham. Think about that. This blessing came to Abraham that God might spread it to others through Abraham. And from one man came a family. And from one family came a nation. And from one nation came the church of God all over the earth. Now, next time you're tempted, no matter how small you are, kids, to think, well... God can't really use me. God took a man in a land where they worshipped sticks and stones and the sun and the moon. And he brought the gospel to Katy, Texas through him. One man. One man who at times wasn't even particularly smart. He says, well, pretend you're my sister. He says, well, we're not sure about this promise. Let's get, a, let's get another wife. Right? But God, through him, blesses, what does Paul say? All the nations. All the nations shall be blessed at the end of verse 8. And they are blessed along with Abraham. Do you see the irony here? What Paul is saying is, Judaizers... You know Father Abraham, your hero? He's the proof that I have a mission to the Gentiles. Because God said to him, all the nations would be blessed through him. I'm just a stick in God's hands. I'm a means that God is using to fulfill his promise to Father Abraham. And what a blessing it is to us that we are the recipients of this promise and this blessing. And so we are called, Christian, to pass that blessing on to others through our prayers, through our evangelism, through our testimony, through our witness. Not for merit, because Abraham was already justified. 
when this promise saw its fulfillment. We are called to take this promise of God and to bring it to a lost world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have blessed us with this story of Father Abraham. We pray, O Lord, that you would remind us that you are the same God for us that you were for him. And we ask that you would remind us of your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.